This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, Equalizer Extra subscribers. It's time for another episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Episode 57 of the Equalizer podcast, Dan Lawletta with Chelsea Bush and Claire Watkins. Week three of the 2019 NWSL season is in the books. Also in the books, participation by those who will be called into camp by the U.S. national team before they go to the World Cup. They'll be back after the conclusion of the World Cup for the U.S. North Carolina Courage got a win. Thorns and Sky Blue played to a 2-2 draw. We had Utah. They're the only team that gets six points from their first two matches. They beat Orlando, who's got one point from four. And in the game that probably more people are talking about, not because of the result, Chicago defeated Rain FC three to nothing. Those are your league results from the weekend. But Claire, let's go to you first because uh, not your typical NWSL weekend in Chicago. And it wasn't even rain or lightning or even fires in the mountains it was a little april snowstorm that got you this weekend tell us about it yeah it um snow this late in the year is not it's obviously uncommon it's not unheard of um but the nature of it the thing that made it so hard was there basically so it precipitated all day on saturday and it started out as rain and then became sort of a sleet ice mixture and then in different parts of the area some areas got snow some areas really just only got that kind of hail um down in bridgeview it was a lot of a mixture of of all of it so bridgeview had some rain earlier in the day it started earlier than anyone had fully anticipated it turned into ice it turned back into rain it turned into ice again and then ultimately it turned into snow um and it yeah it was it was wild it was i think it was just a bad mixture of it was an unseasonably cold day and it was really really windy which meant that um everything coming down was in solid form about until it hit the ground um which was tough and then um yeah it just if it had been warmer it would have just rained all day it was just a lot of precipitation so it was it was kind of an awful sort of wintry mix and as far as i know that's not something that the league has protocol for um maybe they should work on that uh because the first time they don't have protocol till after something happens right exactly so maybe maybe now they'll work on that but I, i would say you know last year the league started at the end of march it's really not that crazy to have something like this happen in the midwest or in the east coast once you know every once in a while so um 
it was clear by 7 p.m. last night that it was probably not a good idea to play the game. It kind of looked like they were going to do it anyway. Um, I only just but highlighted it sounded like the four- Sounded like the forecast caught everyone by surprise. I saw snow in the forecast, but it sounded like nobody expected quite what happened to happen. Um, maybe. I think we kind of knew what was going to happen that day, people locally. Um, I think the thing the thing that sunk the game was not snow; it was ice. Because right, you can play soccer in snow. Exactly, you can play soccer in snow. What happened? It was the it was the exact kind of way that it turned into snow that made the playing surface unsafe. Um, basically, what we were told was players went out uh, to warm up. They were slipping. They didn't feel good about you know the ground beneath them, um, and so that was the main issue. It, it'd be disingenuous to call it called off for snow. It was because the playing surface was was too slippery. All right now, Chelsea, I promise we're going to let you speak at some point, but I know you were watching other soccer this afternoon instead of uh, the Red Stars game, so you didn't get to see it. I actually, It actually worked out better for me because I'm much more inclined to watch a game as it's happening than to watch a game on tape after I already know the result and I found out over the years that trying to block myself from results just doesn't work because I have to block myself from too many other things. But I thought this was a kind of big game because both teams had drawn their first two. I know the Red Star schedule was really tough, but I thought this was not an insignificant game. And considering that there was no Rapino, no Fishlock, no Cadley, Red Stars, I thought it was on them to get to three points, and they did. And they were really, you know, maybe that one goal, that, you know, the one off the crossbar, maybe it went over, maybe it didn't, and then it's two to one, you never know. But in general, I thought the Red Stars were the much better team and to get a definitive win with Kerr not scoring, all kudos to Chicago today. Yeah, I think, uh, Chelsea, you said you, you didn't get a chance to see this one yet, right? Correct. I was at U6 soccer. Yeah, nice. Uh, but, yes, all of that is true. No, I it is totally possible. That goal happened um, across from where the press box is, so it was it was hard to tell exactly. I mean, really hard to tell from our angle. Um it seems like even if it had gone in, might not have made a difference when it comes to the result of the game. But yeah, like Dan said, you never know. Um, for me, you know, I think the main storylines are, um, yeah, the diversification of Chicago's attacking options. I think it shows that they have a system in place that perhaps is more sturdy than the personnel inside of it. Obviously, their team is really good, but I think they have a system that's working for them. Um and I think the rain look a little bit lost. And, yeah, they're missing some key pieces, but they left some wide-open gaps today and in the last half hour or so really kind of looked like they didn't know what to do to get a final push to get back into it. It's pretty wild that the Red Stars have played three times. They've already had two of those balls off the crossbar that came down and didn't go in. They would have gotten two extra points. They would have beaten North Carolina if that one had gone in which I'm pretty sure didn't go in opening night. This one was a little bit closer, but pretty wild that it happened two times. But the takeaways from me are when you saw how excited the Red Stars were for Brooke Elby, who got her first career goal, I think that's a huge positive. I thought Nagasato running down the ball in stoppage time on a 33 nothing, like her life was on the line or like her game was on the line. I think that says a lot about a team. And I also thought Katie Johnson, who I – was kind of quiet against the thorns. I thought she was excellent in this match. 
Yeah, I thought Katie – well, Katie Johnson had a real rough first half against Portland. She was pretty instrumental in what happened in, in Chicago's final two goals against Portland. But um, I agree. I thought Johnson is growing into becoming a connecting player. She's stretching the defense. LB had a big weekend. Not only – it's kind of incredible that she got the goal. Brooke LB is the president of the NWSL Players Association. And as far as I understand – um, they were involved in that decision to call off the first kind of iteration of the match. So LB had a huge weekend both on and off the field. And I actually think even more than LB getting the goal, Vasconcelos getting that assist after getting a goal last week, is it, that's huge for confidence going into a period of time where Chicago is going to need that depth. Absolutely. Chelsea, let's uh, get you involved in the conversation. I know you didn't see... Red Stars rain, but what uh, what catches your eye at the end of the weekend? Um, a couple of things. I thought that Orlando, even though they lost, was actually improved in some aspects. But their lack of production up top is is very concerning. Um, you know, I notice a lot of times they just they get one person who you know a lot of like over the weekend it was just Chioma Bogagu. They get one player who who gets the ball towards the end line, and then they just cross it into the box to nobody. There's nobody there. I mean, I think everybody knows crosses are generally fairly an inefficient way to score a goal directly from a cross. Usually, it's it's if you get a goal off a cross, it's it's more often than not it's like a, a rebound, a cleared up ball. But they can't cut it back because there's no one there. There's no one making trailing runs. So I think that's that's a big concern for Orlando. I think they're they're doing a little bit better. Um, not getting completely pulled apart defensively. They had their moments. Um, I actually think that, that Haley Kopmeyer should have saved that shot from Kristen Press. I think oh, she that's hesitated. one of the worst goals allowed by a keeper I've ever seen in NWSL. Yeah, she hesitated, and then that cost them. Otherwise, I think they come out with a 0-0 a zero, zero draw, and that's not the end of the world. Um, I, I thought Ali Krieger had a really good match in that. I thought that the midfield was a little bit better. It's just they're not producing on the other end. I don't know why. They're, they are keeping so many players in their own defensive half, but nothing's going to happen for them if they can't score goals. I don't think they work for each other. I, I hear what you're saying, that they did some good things in the midfield and they kind of didn't get run off the pitch, but I came away very negative about them from that match. I don't, they, you know, not working for each other. Morgan gave, passed up a couple of opportunities to make passes and took on defenders instead. There was one Obogogu sequence particularly that stood out in the second half when she was all the way on the left side of the screen and you could see like five or six Utah players. And there was, I mean, Abogu had the ball long enough that the center back could have been in the box by the time she crossed it. And there were literally no Orlando players in the box. I think that's pretty concerning. And I don't know if you kept the stream on to see Skinner on the field kind of yelling at the players at the end of the match. I think there's no. some troubling things that I've seen from Orlando through four games. Because it was one thing to lose everyone, you know, matches as a winner or a loser or you tie, but there's a lot of things about that team I'm not liking. Yeah, I didn't say they were they were good. I said better. Okay, fair Just enough. Saying to be clear, I thought fair, that fair I thought that Skinner's post game comments after yesterday or after Saturday um, were disturbingly reminiscent of some of the things Tom Sermani said at the end of 2018. And if Skinner's already at that point, um, you know, just a couple games in, it could be a really long season for them unless he is given some control to really changing that locker room. 
I just happen to have some of those comments up, so I'll take a shot at what you meant. Um, he said, we can't concede things like the... All right, didn't affect the ball enough. I mean, the goal is a ridiculous goal. It's a ridiculous goal. We can't concede things like that and hope to build the foundations that we need to go forward, so we have to affect that. And I've just talked in the huddle at the end about accountability. The players must be accountable for that because no coach in the world can stop that goal going in. It needs to be stopped at the source by the players. Second half, we looked much better, but we were just out of the game by that. I think that's supposed to be by then. We give teams too many leads, and that's what we need to fix. That's Mark Skinner after the Orlando game. Great goal by uh, Press, by the way, in terms of taking the ball down and turning. But three players around, nobody necessarily stepped. We said that Kopmeyer was not good on the she, – she took like – like her first step was like she moved both feet at the same time. I, I don't know exactly what happened there, but – yeah, that's uh, that pretty much what you were getting at on the comments. Yeah, the uh, the the accountability comment, this basically him saying that he can't, he can train them, but he can't go play the game for them. I think that that sentiment was one you also saw from Sermani last year, where he said we train, we put together scenarios. Um, there's nothing a coach can do in game time if there are breakdowns on a personnel level. And I personally think that Orlando's roster is very spotty. So um, it's hard to gauge how much of that is just capability. But I think that the feeling of helplessness coming from a coach that early is, is troubling. You know, if, if you have a new coach who isn't being empowered to make a change for a team that's struggling, I don't know where they go from here. And also, can we talk about the fact that Kristen Press, it's only been two games, but I don't remember the last time she's played this well and this complete in NWSL. Like she is, I think this is her best season so far as a pro soccer player combining national team and club level. Yeah, she's, she's tearing it up. She's, she's playing with a mission. Um, and that's, that's very entertaining to see. I do wish she didn't have to go back in the midfield as much because I think that takes away her as an option up top. And Amy Rodriguez is a little bit quiet so far. Yeah, I thought that it, it, while it's commendable for her to drop back, back deep and, and get the ball, she was really uh, quieter in the, in the latter part of the game because of that. She wasn't. She can't drop back deep to get the ball and go up top and score her own goals. I mean, occasionally, yes, players pull that off. But generally speaking, um, that's just not something we're going to do. I do want to also point out, for anyone who didn't see the game, that Ashlyn Harris was a late scratch because she apparently landed awkwardly in warm-ups. I've not heard anything further on that. I don't know if either of you have. Um, nope. but that's With the players leaving this weekend for World Cup camp, that's that's something to keep an eye on. It could be minor, precautionary. It could actually be something. Yeah, maybe Jane, I stop or prevent a penalty from going in every week. Campbell could should be on the ready for uh... <laughs> But, she, yeah, maybe they should stop giving up penalty kicks. Yeah, one to do that exactly. Well, maybe that's the thing. You know, if we're if you're beat, just give up a PK because Campbell's going to stop it. Um, we're up against the uh, end of the segment, but one real quick thing on Brooke Elby um, playing for Chicago. Since we already also talked about Utah, Laura Harvey told me last year that one of the things that made that trade happen, where Press went from Houston to Utah, but through the Red Stars, was that Elby played so well early in the season. For the Royals, that made her someone that other teams actually wanted. So that is notable as LB got her first NWSL goal for the Red Stars. We'll be back, talk more week three, episode 57 of the Equalizer podcast. 
segment two, episode 57 of the Equalizer podcast. And we would like to remind you to rate and review the Equalizer podcast. If you like what you hear, a positive rate and review can help get you more women's soccer content on the Equalizer. So rate and review the Equalizer podcast. World Cup uh, rosters are coming. We know that the U.S. is due to announce their roster sometime during the week. New Zealand's is out. Abby Erseg is on it. Um, Rebecca Stott is on it. Rosie White, who is technically still a Chicago Red Star, but took the pre-World Cup portion of the season, is on that roster. Um, Aaron Naylor, who was a Sky Blue player for about two days until nobody knows why, but she decided not to stick it out and went back to New Zealand. And somebody helped me out because there's one other New Zealand player that I can completely... Katie Katie Bowen. Katie Bowen. Also, Women's Champions League final is set. Lyon and Barcelona. Lyon, you know about Barcelona with the deepest run they ever had. They beat Bayern Munich uh, 1-0 and 1-0. And uh, Lyon had the 2-1 lead after the first leg and hang on with a draw against Chelsea uh, earlier on Sunday. So 3-2 on aggregate. So two weeks time, May 18th, it'll be Barcelona and Lyon in the Champions League final. Dan with Claire and Chelsea and the two games we haven't really hit on are the Sunday games. Um, I didn't see a second of dash courage, but I have to imagine sky blue thorns a little bit more compelling because for 25 minutes, sky blue, not only had the lead, they were better. And I don't know if that's because Haran didn't play or if the thorns are, were just, you know, not up to it. They, they very quickly equalized, but not, not a bad two weeks here out of Sky Blue, I must say, even though they've still got one win from 27 matches in the Denise Reddy era. Yeah, I think um, Carly Carly Lloyd really kind of took it to him early. Carly always plays really well against uh, the Thorns. I think Sky Blue also plays pretty well against the Thorns. I think they like going up against Portland. I wonder for Portland a couple of things. I think an issue was Lindsay Horan being gone. I think she's very important to them. Um, I think the second issue is... Um, Sky Blue has a massive field, um, and I think that sometimes teams come in and defensively don't always know how to fill that space. And then third thing, I wonder a little bit at what point Portland's going to hit road trip fatigue. Um, they're starting the first, you know, couple of months of their season uh, on the road until the construction is done at Providence Park, and you have to wonder at what point that becomes difficult, regardless of where you are. I, uh, I, I do think um, having Haran out was an issue. That's just one they, they knew was coming. This was perhaps just a little bit earlier. I also think that their defense uh, has, has been concerning. I think Sonnet's having a really rough year. She did score the first goal that, that kind of led to their comeback. Uh, but defensively, I thought she, she was beaten on, on one of the Lloyd goals and, and just hasn't had a great year. So I think that their defense is concerning for me. Um, obviously, without Emily Menguez, it's always going to take a step down. Um, and then not having Haran in that midfield, I think automatically gives them more gives the defense more pressure. But yeah, I thought Sky Blue they they looked good. They just I don't I'm not sure you know what to say about about their goals. Absolutely nobody was marking Sonnet on on that goal. Nobody like she was nope. she had all the space in the world. It was crazy from like six yards out too. Yeah, the second one. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that one. Another back well, heel. nobody else. Nobody yeah. else finishes that goal. Exactly. Right. So what do you say about it? Yeah. And anybody who thinks that the U.S. players were coasting this weekend, 
because it was their last appearance before the World Cup. Just watch Tobin Heath play for 90 minutes. I mean, she was incredible. Yeah, I think um, the Thorns are a team that aren't going to be content with two draws in a row. Um, I think that mentally, especially from Heath, I think that she's the kind of player that um, when the team isn't getting results, and, and it really does look right now at this moment that the issue is more points conceded than their scoring abilities, uh, I think that she really turns it on. And, yeah, you saw that. Saw that in the first half. The second half kind of died, but um, the well, first it half wasn't was... a bad half. I I was expecting maybe that Sky Blue could lose five two when they got to halftime. Right. So I give them a lot of credit for hanging in and having a pretty even second half there. Yeah. Well, and Lloyd came about an inch away from getting a hat trick and winning it all for them. Yep. And the Storms had their chances. Final pass wasn't really there, maybe, in that second half. But Thor- Thorns had some chances to win it. Yeah, I, I do agree. I agree with Chelsea. I think the defense, I, none of us know what Portland's going to look like in next week, two weeks, three weeks. Um, but the fact that they're spitting up these goals now is is a concern, not only for the long term, but even just if you have this exact same lineup in August or September when the games really, really matter, uh, you'll want to have that figured out by then. I don't think it's you know time to panic, but... Um, yeah, they have some stuff to work on. I think if you, I think Sonnet out, Mangus in is a net plus. Even with Sonnet playing at her best, I really think they miss Mangus. They missed her last year, and they missed her this year. I also thought last year that they really missed Franch when she went out of the lineup and Eckerstrom took over. Maybe Eckerstrom's upped her game a little bit, but that, I think that that could be concerning as well, especially if they go no Mangus, no Sonnet, no Franch. That could be a problematic. It does yeah, seem like Ming- – oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think Mangas is underrated for her organizational abilities on that back line. I think the good news is it sounds like Mangas is close. Um, She was questionable this week after being... I I think she went. I think she was there. Yeah, I think she traveled. So the good news for Portland is that I think Mangas is close to um, making it on the field. The hard thing is no one likes to work a center back in with limited minutes. So we'll see exactly how Parsons deals with that. You don't want to, you know mess up your center back pairing uh in the middle of the game if you don't have to but also sonnet's probably going to be gone anyway so we'll see how they work mangas back in oh probably you don't have sonnet in your definites i don't have anyone in my definites dan i don't know <laughs> i'm just covering my bases sonnet's okay we could get a jurgen klinsman moment and uh, carly doesn't make it all right all right okay sonnet's going i just <laughs> I'm just, you know what? Actually, this is this is left over from me covering Chicago, who has a lot of players on the bubble. So I guess I just always <laughs> default to maybe. <laughs> All right. So short and Krieger. If if it's short or Krieger, and this weekend mattered, who who gets the spot based short. on this weekend? Short, absolutely. Agree completely. Casey Short. See? Yeah, she should go. I think Chelsea is Chelsea still with us. I didn't. Well, I didn't watch the Chicago game, so I can't say. Remember? Oh, how convenient! Oh, how convenient! I mean, I, I, you know, for full well, my thoughts on this. If we want to get into a roster chat, I'm down for it. But you specifically said based on this weekend. I think all things being equal, short over Krieger right now. However, if Short's health means that all things are not equal, then I'm 
fine if Krieger's on the roster too. And it could be both. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that we saw some very specific managing of minutes for short over the last couple of weeks, and I think all of that was with an eye on getting her on that roster. That's probably correct. Probably correct. Anyhow, uh, any Dash Courage thoughts from anybody? Because I saw, all I know is Jane Campbell saved a PK, and literally that's three games now. She's got two PK saves, and Lloyd hit the post. But anybody see any or have yeah. any thoughts on the match? Um, the first, I thought the first half, they, the dash hung with the courage really well. I think, in fact, for the first, uh, 15, 20 minutes, they were probably a little bit, even I would say almost dom dominant, except for that they were just really lacking that final pass. Once again, um, they gave up that goal at a really, really bad time, you know, right before halftime. And then the second half, I mean, the courage do what the courage do, right? They just wear them down. Uh, the first half, the dash were much better organized they were in a good defensive shape I think they they lacked a little bit of space between their midfield and their forwards at times um but they, they were hanging with them and then they just it just became chasing the ball in the second half and, and that's what the North Carolina Courage do they just they wear you down and that's exactly what they did I don't I didn't see the final numbers but I know at halftime I want to say they had nine shots and seven of them were on target which is significantly better than than what we've seen from in the past and in fact i'll look those up but yeah it was it was okay from the from the dash to start with but they, they just couldn't hang yeah it was it was a pretty classic north carolina game i completely agree with what chelsea said the first half hour or so the dash looked good they were moving the ball they were penetrating it was all very interesting but they ended the half with no shots on goal and I, I feel like this thing with North Carolina is is there's always this um, feeling of potential for the teams playing them early on in the match. Um, but if they can't capitalize on that, they're really in trouble. I mean, we, what we saw from Chicago in week one was they got that first goal, and that was the momentum that carried them for the rest of the match, even after they conceded. And so I think for for the dash, and I'm not I'm not sure I'm necessarily putting the dash quite on Chicago's level yet, but um, I think if you're gonna have a shot, you have to strike and like strike well. And the dash struggled with that, and then they just couldn't hold on. And and, and North Carolina piled on as they as they do. And I at this point wonder how much we should rate all those extra goals. I don't know the the difference of value and you know, all of the ways that North Carolina scores on you after they're already winning versus an actually competitive game. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was, North Carolina was very good. Crystal Dunn had another fantastic match. I, you know, you say Kristen Press is having, you know, one of her best seasons. I think Crystal Dunn is playing out of her mind right now. And it's almost hard to see because she's on such a good team, but Wow, is she really capitalizing on stuff? For you know, I was close to saying Press has been the best player in the league, and then Dunn stuck into my head, yeah. so I changed it to best eleven worthy or something, whatever I said. Right, it's it's there's very both of them are playing lights out right now. Um, so I'll be the thing with the thing with this game was it was very much we know exactly who both of the, these teams are, and it kind of played out the way you'd expect. I'm fascinated to see what North Carolina looks like with all of their World Cup players gone. And we're still, I think we agree that Zerboni maybe still is a bubble player. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's I, I struggle with that because I know that I would take her, but I don't know if that means that she's going. Right. And uh, I also want to point out that we had a, one of our off-season podcasts, we ended with come up with the crazy prediction for 2019. I don't remember what anybody else said. I don't even remember who I was on with that week. But mine was that the courage would be under 500 after four matches officially wrong after tonight. So I just want to get that out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, uh, I did look up the stats for that match. They ended with 20 shots, 13 on goal. So I think that wow. is definitely better yeah, that's much better. than what they've done in the past. Yeah. I also want to point out that as of this moment, the uh, leader in the Golden Boot race is Crystal Dunn, who's now going to go off to play left back at the World Cup. <laughs> you know what, though? She, she doesn't work attacking. And the, the way Jill Ellis plays, I think she's in the right spot. Uh, she doesn't work. I don't know. She does not work in that three-person midfield at all. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to having her up top, although she's not going to knock out any of Rapino, Keith, or Morgan in their current form for the national team. Now, now the thing is, she's not going to knock out Rapino, but if Rapino is injured or can't go 90, I would be fine with Dunn being the next in line, but you have enough outside backs. I also think, by the way, that O'Hara has looked really good in her limited minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, O'Hara has been great. Yeah. If I had my perfect world and I'm in the World Cup, I would start Casey Short at left back and put Crystal Dunn up top. But that's just me. I think I I don't, again, I don't know if I put Dunn up top because I think Rapino and Heath are too good. I don't think she's Yeah, but I'd, I'd have her as a, a sub up top, I guess is what I'm saying. Or you can, I mean, hey, why not put in, make it a 4-4-2 at these last three games? Then you can get Dunn in the midfield. Yeah, you could, but she's she's pretty married to that 4-3-3 these days, I think. She certainly is. And I don't even think Jill Ellis would change the formation this close to the World Cup. But, Except that know, it's like random 10 minutes in the middle of the second half, and she just goes you know, <laughs> wild. That's very, that's very true. All right, let's uh, come back for one more segment. We'll take your questions, maybe some more World Cup roster talk as well. This is episode 57 of the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment, episode 57 of the Equalizer podcast. Dan Lawletta with Claire Watkins and Chelsea Bush. Time for some user questions and my weekly promise to myself uh, that we're going to send out the call for questions a little bit earlier than usual. But let's start with Kerry Pyrleski, who I recently found out that the U in Kerry's name is silent. Two-part question, but I'll read the second one because they're both along the same lines. When was the last time a team other than Lyon won the Champions League? I get that it's a prestigious thing for a team to do, but it seems like it's the same three, four teams year after year. Maybe men's competition is the same. Uh, the answer is Lyon is going for four in a row. Last time they didn't win was 2015 when Frankfurt beat PSG in the final. And the two years before that was Wolfsburg. So three German wins before the three from France. Now, in fairness, Barcelona is a new finalist. Uh, it's not a bad point, though. The, and the men's is not like this. The men, there are a group of teams that usually get there, but it's a much bigger group than they have for the women. 
women's game is still evolving, so, so I don't like the comparison necessarily to the men's side. But, um, yeah, the Champions League gets interesting maybe at the quarterfinal stage. What do you guys think? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch as many of those games as I would like, but um, I think... I'm really interested in actually the English sides as they develop. I think that they could end up being more major players than they have in the past. Like you said, there were German sides winning and then now Lyon. Um, Chelsea had a good run of it. Arsenal is going to be in Champions League next year, which should be cool to watch. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just going to take time. And I don't know how many of those – I think the factors of whether someone wants to – jump into that structure differs for every player so it's hard to gauge i think that it gets like you said it gets interesting around the quarterfinals until leon wins it again i i don't like the same team winning anything over and over again unless it's the u.s winning the world cup in which case i'm all for it but other than that even i don't not in the nwsl not in champions league nothing do i want to see the same team over and over again because just boring it's 11 straight years either a French team or a German team has won. And that French team is only Lyon. If anyone thinks PSG has won and they've never won the Champions League. Uh, I also think let's get the leagues in better shape. And then that will, by default, make the Champions League better. Because if you think it's boring to watch Lyon win the Champions League, check out the goal differential they have in France. Um, moving on to the next question. This is a good one. Maya Herschler. To what do you attribute the huge discrepancy between Alex Morgan's club and national performances? Chelsea, take the lead on this one. I think you actually touched on it, both of you, earlier. It's it's the personnel around her. I mean, if you have on the national team, I'm not going to take anything away from Alex Morgan because I think at the end of the day, she is a fantastic soccer player. But if you have Megan Rapino and Tobin Heath sending you balls in, you're, you're going to make something happen for them. And I think that when you have that support around you, it tends to make you a better player. Nobody or, or very few people on Orlando seem seem to uh, be interested in making anyone else a better player. And I, that probably sounds really, really harsh. But I think there that Claire touched on there, there's some definite issues in that locker room. And there are times when players don't pass to each other or times when players are visibly frustrated and yelling at each other on that field. And that's not conducive to anyone putting their best performance out. Alex Morgan is not the only person on that team who plays better with their national team. We've seen that from Alana Kennedy and Emily Van Eggman. We've, we've seen it from, from Camilla. We I'm not really sure what's going on with Marta lately. I think we always get the best that she can give. I'm just not sure what that is. Um, but yeah, there there are other players besides Alex Morgan. I just think that the team dynamics and the, the way that they're set up and the support she's given are just completely different. Yeah, but does does she work hard enough at the club level? Um, when things are going well, yes. Well, that, that that's the same as no, though, because you got to right, work harder. That's true. When not yeah, that's true. And I will. I mean. A lot of times she'll get back and, and do defensive work. She's She clears a lot of balls on set pieces. But then you have times like against North Carolina where she just gives up. She would never in 100 years do that in a U.S. uniform. Unacceptable. Talking about the giveaway when she just kind yeah. of flailed her arm. Stop. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. And she again, I said this. I wrote about it. She wasn't going to ever chase down Crystal Dunn in the open field from behind. 
But if somebody else slides over and slows her down, then you're an important cog defending. Plus, it looks horrible to everybody when you react like that, even if you don't chase the play. All right, Gallum Cardner has Morgan Bryant snuck her way back into the bubble at the 11th hour, which on WSL team takes the biggest and smallest hit from the World Cup. I find it interesting. Bryant had like what one decent showing on Sunday. Now we think she's back in. I think Morgan Bryan was not under consideration for weeks. I think she could have scored hat tricks in all three Red Stars games and wouldn't be in. Anyone think different than that? Taking that as a no. <laughs> All right. Uh, biggest and smallest hits. I mean, this is obvious, and we've talked about it a lot. Courage, the biggest. Orlando might be bigger because they're not as deep, but they're also terrible. So I actually think they could benefit from getting a little bit of a fresh perspective in the locker room. And obviously, Sky Blue is on the other end because it's pretty much Lloyd and Sheridan. Although Sheridan could be a pretty big drop. Harachich is their backup now. Sheridan's been really good this season. All right, last yeah, I think one. they're really going to miss her. Yeah, I do too. Last one, although Skrosky at center back, although she wasn't great against the Thorns, Skrosky and Estelle Johnson as your center back pairing, I think you could have something if you let that combination gel for a couple of weeks. All right, final one from John Forsyth. Which U.S. WNT bubble player made a good case for herself in three weeks of NWSL action? Claire, go ahead. Um, I think Casey Short. I mean, she didn't play week one, but I think in week two and three, in week two, she did a good job handling Tobin Heath. In week three, she got a goal, so that's both sides of the ball. Um, trying to think. Andy Sullivan has quietly had a more confident um, role with the spirit, but I'm not sure if that's enough to really, you know, put her over the top. Uh, other bubble players. I guess it maybe. Sounds like should... there's that. That's Many the thing. I, I, yeah, I struggle with this question because I'm not sure there are that. I think I kind of feel like I know who's going and who's not. I'm not sure if there really is a bubble anymore. Well, there, I mean, there's pretty much going to be, what, two players left out of the ones we think are going? Right. I mean, it's, I think one it's, it's short streaker. Right? And it's Sullivan. Zerboni and Long, and I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but is it one or two of those go? I think two I think of it's them It's two, go. right? Yeah. Two, two of them go. Right, because Colaprico dropped off the map. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't even know who else was in. Matthias was in a little bit and fell off the map. Campbell, unless there's an engine, you know, unless the Harris thing is a problem, Campbell dropped off. So yeah, I, 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 I think really... there's not much of a bubble. So, I mean, someone asked me about McDonald earlier. I think McDonald's been a shoe-in for a while now. Yes, I think she's going. Yeah. And I don't claim to know, and I don't think you two do either, the story behind everybody who's ever been on a roster. But I can't think of a better individual story than Jess McDonald if she gets on this roster. Because four years, if I told you four years ago that Jess McDonald would make the 2019 World Cup roster, you probably would have laughed at me. And then ask that I never be on this podcast again. What if McCall Zerboni makes it on? Nah, McDonald's better. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I, uh, just, I think Zerboni's had a more straight up arc just late. Like McDonald couldn't even stick with the same league team for a while. It's fair. It's right. true. Right? And, you know, the fact that she's got a young child and I, you know, I, I feel like players like McDonald, I mean, she was a journey woman player. 
I think players like that year were just waiting for the retirement announcement, right? And it never came. And she got in with Paul Riley, and here she is. Yeah. And I think she'll play big minutes, too. Not, not big like a lot, but I think she'll play important minutes at the World Cup. I think she could definitely score. Yeah, I think that she could absolutely contribute. I feel good about McDonald's. Yeah, I think going. she's going to be... She's going to be one of the later subs, but I think she's going to be put on to close the game out. And I think that's a very, very important role. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you're lucky, you never need her to, to come on and score because you're not losing at that point in the match. And she may get a start if if Ellis decides to, you know, take one group match for some squad rotation, which you never know. Right. You never know. All right, a few minutes to go. If we uh, if we want anything else, catch anybody's eye for the weekend or what do we expect um, when we get back with the roster drop. Well, I was going to uh, think the thing I just remembered, I don't know if we want to talk about this, but um, there's a group looking to expand in Connecticut. You know, we dropped that equalizer dropped that earlier this week. If you haven't heard about that, go, go check that out. I think that was an exclusive for extra members. Um, does anyone have any thoughts about that? Well, it's nice to see that teams want to get that groups want to get into the league and I stand by what I've always said, which is that this should not be the WMLS. So while I'm never going to be opposed if an MLS team owner wants to start a club, I want to I want to always see independent teams in the women's league. I um, two things. I like that a group is being. I've, I like everything that I've heard about what's going on behind the scenes, except for the fact that it seems like. Uh, there's been some issues with the league office and this announcement could have come. It hasn't even been officially announced yet, but it it could have come earlier. Um, The second thing I heard is that their colors are going to involve green. And I'm super, super excited about that. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I think um, there are definitely, I think people have some concerns about the, you know, the kind of paper trail following this particular owner. Um, But I think, it's still early days. I mean, I guess maybe the thing I, the, my question is, so we have an ownership group that wants to become part of expansion. Um, we now have news running of it because I believe uh, the group is having trouble communicating with the league, uh, regardless of maybe how you feel about the team possibility itself. I mean, that seems troubling. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I don't know who exactly at the league because the league office is dwindling and not really catching up. So fascinating times in this league. Chelsea, did you have another topic also? I was just going to say because I think we've all talked about this on earlier pods that we expected Sofia Huerta to have a big season, and she really hasn't done that yet. It's Fair. Just been pretty quiet. Her one goal was off Estelle Johnson's back. <laughs> yeah. Which, hey, they all count. Got one more late question. It came in, so let's hit that one. Do you think that Marta is finally aging? This is from Jordan Staub, by the way. Seems to me her play is still fantastic, but very reckless and emotional more often than not to begin the season already. I don't know if I agree about reckless and emotional, but I am starting to think that uh, we may have seen the best of Marta, which is unfortunate, but you know what? It happens to everybody. Everybody get All athletes get old. Yeah, I think we, we discussed this last season some that that we kind of were seeing her little decline a little bit, but she still had moments of brilliance. 
and I don't even think yet this season we've even really seen moments of brilliance. It's just kind of normal play, which we don't expect from Marta. I don't agree that she's been reckless. I think she's showing her frustration, um, but she's not doing anything that Marta hasn't done a million times in the past. And she's on a team that's also visibly frustrated from every other player. But yeah, I think she's she's declining. Here's what I said on my broadcast Saturday night and also on a radio spot I did earlier Sunday. You watch Morgan and Marta, they haven't scored in four games, but I haven't seen any indication that they're going to score. No. Yeah. Uh, and Marta, I mean, to be fair, she's been played a little bit further back sometimes. She's She seems to kind of be moving around between that front line for Orlando and then being part of the midfield. So um, she's not really creating a lot either she's just not being what we expect to see for marta and i think the also, also teams are not giving her as much respect as they used to They're not giving her as much space not giving her as much attention because they're picking up on that yeah all right well that's going to wrap it up for episode 57 of the equalizer podcast when next you hear from us we should have a u.s world cup roster also keep in mind that it's the roster of 23 but they can make changes up until the night before the first game so nothing is locked in if there's an injury you can still make replacements up until the tournament starts but we should have that and the wilderness period in between u.s national team players being in nwsl starts friday night in utah for chelsea and claire i'm dan talk to you next time on the equalizer podcast Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Equalizer Soccer. We thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.